0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.
1: All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God, my yesterdays are gone all of my sins have been forgiven that's my song now i'm gonna sing it one of these days thank god i've been washed in the blood i'm just happy to be back to get myself back in the swing of things pneumonia has gone but it kind of left a mark on my vocals so i'm getting therapy for that but uh That's all right. She told me to sing, not to overdo it, but to go ahead and start singing. So this was a song Scott really wanted. I'm sorry he can't be here tonight, but we're going to be praying for him. And uh, uh, God works miracles. Y'all believe that? We serve a miracle-working God anyway. And, uh, And I'm sorry, Chris, I didn't give you the words to this. But um, I'll go ahead and sing it. This will be one time, baby, y'all can just sit (laughs) and entertain. But we praise God because I was a sick old man. But I'm back. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I'm excited. It took a miracle. World in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and been shown, we still can't fully see the wonders of His might, His throne. It'll take eternity, it took a miracle to put the star. It took a miracle to hang the world in place. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole took a miracle of love and grace. The Bible tells us of his power and wisdom all the way through and every little bird and flower testimonies too. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he my soul, cleansed and made me whole. It took a merry call of love.
0: I'd ask Ralph to sing that for me because that's one of the songs really out in the boondocks that I grew up with. And it really helped summarize what I've got to say this morning. He mentioned last night that uh, I wasn't here. I, I've got to, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's not, uh, not going to kill me yet. It's the other day my wife came home barking like a basset hound, and then she handed it off to me and i said lord it's that woman you gave me i i remember i remember what adam said about eve yeah but um, so I, I had a funeral friday to conduct and then i really shouldn't have done it but the circumstances were with the family were necessary so i went in and struggled through it but i I feel better already, but I'm not going to whip anybody, so don't start anything unless you really want to win. I wanted Ralph to sing that song because we're talking about miracles. Jesus used miracles to prove that he was the Messiah, that was what it was really all about. And, uh, and what we need to, what I'm going to try to prove this morning is that the miracle of salvation is about the only miracle that we've got a right to expect today. And the reason for that is that when Jesus came the first time He came for only one reason. He came to deal with the problem of sin. The problem of sin. That's why they preached In the early church the cross why because on the cross Jesus met God's requirement for the payment of the sins of mankind and all anybody had to do was put their faith in Jesus I like to refer to it as an obedient faith in Jesus Christ who paid the price of sin God said you know it takes a perfect sacrifice the shedding of blood those are without That shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So keep in mind what I'm trying to prove. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. To deal with the problem of sin, it's a universal problem. All of us are guilty. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every one of us. So that's why Jesus came the first time. The second time Jesus comes, when he comes again one of these days, could be today, could be any time, when Jesus comes again, he will deal with the aggravating problem of social issues and governments. And he will come then, according to the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, and bring the type of government that the kingdom of God deserves to have, or is going to have. So what I want to do this morning is from the Scriptures, just from the Scriptures, to prove beyond all reasonable doubt, as best I can, that the world system that we live in all over God's creation is a flawed creation and beyond redemption. It's absolutely beyond redemption. Now, that wasn't always true as far as people were concerned. Even preachers all through the 1800s preached that a combination of the churches and government would create the kingdom of God here on earth. It's called the term for it in the theological world is called post-millennialism. And so they honestly believed that God was going to create, use the church working with government to create the kingdom of God here on earth. And when that happened, Christ would come and rule for a thousand years. The first, and all of you remember this, the first world war was referred to as what? The war to end all wars, but it didn't. The second world war comes along, and the pendulum swung from God's going to create the kingdom of God here on earth, which was a false doctrine to start with, based on honest ignorance, to the other extreme, which says things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until God can't stand it anymore, and then he's going to stomp on it. And it was made really popular by the preaching of guys like Billy Graham. And that's called. And there are different forms of what's called premillennialism. That, and, and I'm not going to get into the millennial thing. It takes too much time. But that thing has swung back and forth. And the church, and I got suckered into it as a young person, as a young preacher. I got suckered into the thing that If we could get the right government and the right people in government, everything was going to just be hunky-dory. I've lived 85 years, and the hunky and the dory don't exist. And they never did, and they're never going to until Jesus comes again. You need to get that straight in your head. Now, there isn't anything wrong with participating in politics. But don't get in your mind that that's going to fix anything much. It really isn't. Because you see the world we live in here on earth, according to the scriptures, all of this world stuff here, political, social, economic stuff is really under the primary influence of none other than Satan himself. You say, "Ooh, where'd you get that? In the Bible?" If you'll take the time to look in the 12th chapter of the book of John you'll see how Satan is described there In verse 31 it says uh, 30 and 31 it says Jesus the bo- and this voice was on your behalf not mine now is the time for judgment on the world now the prince of this world will ultimately be driven out who is the prince of this world? He's talking about Satan himself. You look at, you know, I, I watched a little bit because I was lying in bed and bored to tears. And I felt just bad enough to watch politics for a little while. I saw all of the chaos and idiocy that was going on in Washington. And I got to thinking, how in the world could I have got suckered into that early on? You see, politicians are just a bunch of selfish jerks like everybody else. They're not going to fix anything except their own pocketbook in the long run. And you need to get that straight in your mind because it's, it's not going to fix anything. All oh, vote for the best one that you can find and let it go at that. But if you're living on a dream like I had, that we could actually create something here in the United States that was just almost equal to the kingdom of God. I was so deluded and so deceived. Satan has always been about two things. One is creating tension between people. And he's a clever deceiver. The Bible says that he disguises himself as an angel of light in order to deceive people. And the power of the devil is substantial. The Bible teaches that he was capable and actually did as a part of the, of the military arm of, of heaven itself. He created war in heaven according to the twelfth chapter, verse 7, in the book of Revelation. And when Jesus comes along and discusses that, he says this, that because this world is under the influence, the primary influence of Satan, there will always be wars and rumors of wars. 24th chapter Matthew, Jesus is talking. You see, Satan's primary goal is wherever he is to create chaos, lead the world astray, create, and and he is, did you ever run into a pathological liar? I've only known one or two in my lifetime. They're actually convinced that the tales they're telling is true. Satan knows that the tales that he's telling aren't true. Because his whole deal is to deceive people and destroy everything that God stands for. And if you've lived as long as I have, you know that even in this country, he's been amazingly successful. Prayers taken out of the schools. You know, everybody, and, and, and I watched the the Bengals playing. Who was it that they, where the boy got hurt? whoever they were playing anyway you can see how much I am about football I think it was created in the pits hell too but because the people get hurt so badly but anyway for those of you who love football God bless you basketball was created in heaven and so you know where I'm coming from but you know when the chips were down there aren't many Atheists in foxholes, are there? Did you notice how many of those rough, old, foul-mouthed football players fell on their knees when things got out from under their control? They all gathered around and fell on their knees and prayed for that kid. They did more than just pray for him. A lot of them sent thousands of dollars to his fund in Pittsburgh where he uses the money there to take care of kids that really need some help. That's why I suspect that in order for God to achieve His purposes before Jesus comes again, I suspect that there are things that are going to get tougher. Now you didn't come to hear that, I'm certain. And you need to be careful about miracles. You know, we get on television, you turn it on channel 2, and these guys are saying, send me a $1,000, and God's going to do a miracle and send you half a dozen thousand dollars. Well, the only thing you really accomplish there is sending them a $1,000. We've had people come by here who've done that and ask if you can help them get enough gasoline to get back to their family. Only two or three through the years, but that's actually happened. For even in the church, there is greed and selfishness and division where people aren't really steeped in the Word and haven't really sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and thought that just getting into the church and becoming a church member was going to make everything all right. No, it won't. We're told in Scripture, even those of you. who are faithful, are at times going to suffer for righteousness' sake. You need to understand that Satan, because we don't... When's the last time you heard a sermon on Satan? Tell me the truth now. I'll bet you there's not been one on television for a month or two or three or a year or two or three. And I don't know why. But we need to be aware that the, that the opponent to everything that's good is a powerful and persuasive individual who is able to use religious stuff to achieve his purposes. And so you must be careful. John says, test the spirits to see if they're of God. Just don't buy every religious bunch of on. That's why you need to know what the Bible says so that you know what to believe and what not to. Just because it's religious doesn't mean that it's true. Jesus came to emphasize the truth. When he was standing before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he said, well, yeah, but not of this world. I'm come to to teach people truth. Pilate asked, well, what is truth? The word, Jesus, is the embodiment of truth, and the Bible is taking the embodiment of truth and put it in writing so that you and I can understand it. So that we can stand against the wiles of the devil because they are persuasive and powerful. If you look over carefully, and, and the reason, and see, he gets into this, he, he uses religion to, to deceive people. Wherever you see a little miracle of some kind, be careful. Be really careful. Because <clears throat> Satan is capable of being a miracle worker. So how do you know? Listen to this. Second Thessalonians, starting at what? Save time. Start verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that that deceives those that are perishing. (coughs) They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will... Believe a lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Satan's power is persuasive, and he uses religious people. Be very careful. Test the spirits to see if they're true. Satan's goal appears to be, as it appears to me now, to establish a one world government over which his, one of his underlings will rule. You see, this started a long time ago, believe it or not, this same concept. That was the reason why the Roman Catholic Church developed its own government and its own war, and its own soldier, their own army. And that all of, the, all, of the world, all of the other armies should be subject to the armies of the papacy. That sort of went by the, ba- by the wayside. So Satan disguises himself as an angel of truth, and we have to ask ourselves on each situation, well, what is true? And how do you determine it? Now, understand where I started. I started on the basic premise that when Jesus came to earth as a baby that we celebrated in Christmas, he came for one reason only, to deal with the universal problem of sin. Therefore, it is Satan who opposes everything that God tries to attempt here with us. And his primary direction is to undercut the things that would make us successful in dealing with the problem of sin. One of the things that's happened in my lifetime is that our society ceases to use the term sin. They don't use it anymore. In fact, I have a book that was written by a Christian psychiatrist in Topeka, Kansas, that reads, as its title is, Whatever Happened to Sin. Because he said that as long as people would come to me as sinners, they could be forgiven. Now they come to me, not as sinners, but people who have a psychological aberration of some kind, and it takes treatment until forever for them to get over it. And he deals with it, interestingly, in that book. Now, I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not opposed at all for you to participate in a political party. But don't make that your primary reason for existing please. Because that's not why Jesus came. He'll deal with that when he comes again. So what should we find ourselves doing? You know, and, 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 and it really upsets me that our whole history is being reinterpreted and twisted and distorted. And our founding fathers are being accused of things that just simply isn't true. Slavery came to this country. The horrible thing of slavery came to this country by the English. It was their, they shipped the, them here. They brought those poor people here. Thousands of them died on the way over. They didn't care. And you want an interesting, and it was the Christians in England who finally were able to outlaw the shipping of slaves on English ships to the United States. And here's the thing that is really wonderful if you understand it our founding fathers, Jefferson, Washington, many of the others, were actually slave owners. They were. They, they inherited them through the political power of the British. And when those guys got together, they actually put together documents that they knew would ultimately end slavery. They knew that.
1: First time that
0: I know of in the history of mankind that a document actually said out loud that all men are created equal. All men are created equal. I actually got, almost got fired from a church down in western Kentucky. There was a, there was a doctrine that I didn't know about that actually said, and, and this is the stupidity that you find out here flying around, there was actually a belief there because of a previous old preacher that there were two different creations, one for blacks and one for whites. Jeez. And my question, where in the world do you see that in Scripture? That's false doctrine. I didn't know that the son of that old preacher was sitting there listening to me. There was a little bit of dissension that came as a result of that. You need to know that it were Christians in England that brought the shipping of slaves to the U.S. and to other places to, to a halt. If you ever saw the movie on the making of, this, of the song Amazing Grace, if you haven't seen it, you ought to look at it because it documents what, what I'm talking about. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to get involved in, 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 I don't give a hoot which politics you belong to. I don't have any confidence in either one of them. I just wanted to warn you that all of the emphasis on miracles can be deceiving unless you know the truth because Satan uses them, and he's effective at using them. Jesus uses miracles for one thing. He used them to prove that he was the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, that everything was subject to him. You see, the Bible is really divided up into three different sections, the Old Testament The ministry of Christ and the New Testament. The ministry of Christ, the Old Testament, the ministry of Christ, New Testament. That's the division of the Bible. We live in a day that is different from either of the first two. We live in a day when our primary emphasis as a church... As a Christian church, it is to deal with the problem of sin. It's that simple. And when we get sidetracked into these, and and we'll do some things. For instance, when we get done here this morning, I hope some of you men that are stronger than I am can push these chairs on the outward in this way because next Saturday we're going to host the Martin Luther King breakfast. I'm a fan of Martin Luther King probably one of the few people that you know that came within spitting distance of him when he was in Nashville and I was in graduate school there because what's happening in our world is far different than what dr. King proposed the Bible teaches And I had Ralph to sing it on purpose because of the the message of that song. The Bible teaches that the greatest testimony to who Jesus is is not a a miracle of water turning into wine or some guy being healed of St. Baptist's dance. That's all fine. But the greatest miracle in the world in which I'm talking is after the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's what, where I want to be headed, what is it? What is the miracle that you'd rather see than anything? Nine times out of ten, we would say, I want my body healed. I would be grateful if, if he'd clear up my lungs and, you know, make me what I once was. I told my wife this morning, I said, Alex, you got a problem. She said, what is it? I said, well, I was just in the bathroom. And I took a good long look in the mirror. And I'm going to be one of the ugliest cadavers that you ever saw. I don't know how you're going to handle that, but you better be aware of that. That didn't go over very good. I thought it was kind of clever and funny, but she didn't go for it. But in the New Testament, the bodily resurrection of Jesus was to show that he indeed was God in the flesh who had the capacity to do what only God can do, to bring life from death. That's what he had done in creation. And that's why he says there will be a new creation. And that new creation is what the church does. That's what he's trying to tell us. The early church preached two things, and we need to duplicate that early biblical church as best we can. We need to find out what they did and try to do it ourselves. That's called a Bible church. The early church primary preaching was Jesus' death on the cross met God's requirement for the payment of the sins of mankind. There's nothing you and I could do about it. He did it for us. That's the reason we're saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't do it. He did it for us. And then just to prove that he was who he said he was, he did what only God can do to bring life out of death, and he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus did a lot of miracles. But if you read the sermon outline that I put in your bulletin, you'll find out that even though they saw, he even went so far as to say, some people are beyond help. Now, nobody likes to hear that. But he said, look, here's the way he he phrased it. He said, even you've seen these miracles that I've done, but some won't believe, even if they saw someone raised from the dead. They still won't believe. So let's go back to the question. The question is this. If you were given the power... The promise of God himself to say, okay, any miracle that you would like to see I will give you, what would that be? Most of us would direct that towards some selfish something or other. Health, wealth, or whatever, like these, some of these churches promote. But the New Testament teaches this. The greatest miracle that is the primary testimony to who God is, is the conversion of an individual from what he was to what God wants him to be. That transformation of an individual's life is the primary testimony to who God is. And when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we use our primary energies we set as our number one priority for miracles is the salvation of people's souls, for that's why Jesus came to start with. So what I would suggest to you, if you buy what I'm saying, is that you take in your Bible. That's what I because there's nothing wrong with writing in your Bible, and write down the names of people that you're praying for, then that you'll witness to if you get a chance. Because I'm telling you that there's nothing more exhilarating in the life of a believer than to know that God has used you to testify to someone who has changed their life. I had a friend several years ago who was a doctor, and he lost a lot of patience because he would ask him, Do you want pills or prayer? He'd just ask him that. Most of them preferred pills. Nothing wrong with pills. Old Doc Haley, the only doctor in Bracken County for years, he even built a little, Bracken County, Kentucky, he even built a little memorial to him there. Old Doc Haley used to say, this old woman, he went to see her over around Germantown, and she said, you know, I don't, I don't need pills, I just need prayers. She had locked bowels. I know this is not t- too fancy to say in a church, but she had locked bowels. And the old Doc Haley used to, told her, he said, Look, prayers good for the soul. And NR tablets are good for the bowels. I don't you probably don't know what nature's remedy is. But it's like putting dynamite under a tin can. I mean it loosens things right up, I guarantee you. Miracles are impressive. But be careful that they're not used for selfish purposes. Anybody on television, i say this without fear of contradiction. Anybody who gets on television and says, send me a $1,000 of seed money and see what God is going to do for you, blah, 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 blah. I think the wise thing to do would get, go down to the seed store and send them some seed. Say, it's up to you, partner. Because all that is selfish stuff, so they can build a whole bunch of stuff. What I'm here to say is because Jesus came. See, how am i am doing here? If I was doing any better, I'd brag. and I'm going to close here a little bit early, but what I'm here to say, if Jesus came the first time for the single reason of dealing with the sin problem, shouldn't that be our primary goal as Christians and a church? What I'm telling you is the number of people on, outside the church buildings in Saudi County today far outnumbers those who are in. Jesus put it this way. The labors are few. The harvest is needed, but the labors are few. I'd like to recruit each of you into pulling your life into line with what Jesus had in mind when he went to the cross. Helping people understand that they can be totally forgiven of everything they've ever done, doing, or ever will do. The Apostle Paul was a a confessed murderer. Murderer. God not only forgave him, he used him in a mighty way. You might be shocked of what God can do if you will say, Lord, here I am, send me. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus said when he was asked what was his primary And this is repeated in two or three different places. But there in the 13th chapter of John, he puts it so that any of us, I think, can understand it. He said, Here's the way that people will believe who I am. So that when we talk to folks, they will listen. We have to have enough credibility that when we speak, people believe us. Jesus said, and this is the way that it's going to work. Now, you've heard this so many times, but I don't think it soaks in very easily. He said in verse 34... A new commandment I give you, but it's not new. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then he goes ahead and says this. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. What that means to me is this. When a Vicki Lewis is in the hospital and she doesn't have much of a family that cares for us, she needs to know that we're praying for her because old Vicki's on the you know, on that devil's instrument called the internet. She's on there all the time asking people to pray for, for yeah. Well, it's her turn. She had her knee worked on she told Alice Case, she said they told me that the that the surgery was a success, but I sure am hurting whether it's Vicki Lewis, or whomsoever, when the day comes, when the day comes, that the reputation of this church is summed up in these words, my, how they love each other. When you see one of our folks not showing up for two or three weeks, bombard them with questions. Are you okay? Don't condemn them but show concern. And because we're being carefully watched by the whole community, you may not know it, but we are. You you probably don't have any idea of how we will be watched just by the fact that we're hosting the Martin Luther King breakfast next Saturday morning. Our church has always had a, a pretty high profile. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm so good looking. I have no idea. But, but what I'm telling you, the only reason I mention that is this, where you are and I are being watched. And when our reputation is, those people really care. But, I mean, we're, and we'll still make mistakes, and we have to learn to forgive each other. Someone came in this morning and asked me to forgive them, and I'd even forgotten about it. You can't worry about when people screw up somewhere because they do. All of us do. But that's when we exercise grace toward each other. Grace is grace and love just fit together like a glove grace means extending to somebody something they don't deserve that's the other side of the word but love love the word agape is the t- greek term for love in the new testament because there's two words in new testament there's the phileo love and you all know that one because you've had it in history the word phileo is the basis of the city In Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, paleo, friendship. Agape love means what Jesus did on the cross. I'm willing to sacrifice time, money, and energy in order to benefit you. And I won't complain about it when I'm done. And when we get to the, because in the New Testament, I don't have time to kind of chase all these things down for you, but in the New Testament, the early church was described that way. My, how they loved each other. No one went hungry. Jesus said, you bury each other's burdens and you fulfill the law of love. That means we're about each other. And that's the reason why I'm really practically opposed to the mega churches, the concept. I just don't think it's possible to know people well enough to bear their burdens and to encourage them. When the day comes that all of these seats are full and we start setting up another, we better start thinking about having two different churches in the same building or something because we need to keep it at the place where that we know each other love each other saturday night becomes an interesting experience here if you've never been here on saturday night about once a month they go back here and eat together it verges on sin because of the capacity that they put away but the fellowship around the tables is magnificent In fact, it comes closer to what the New Testament did than what we do. When I said, you know, emulate the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, like in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, a bunch of Christians met the Apostle Paul. uh, Before he was going to get on the boat and go back to the ship and and go back to Israel. They met there. He preached until midnight. You guys have got it made. Eutychus fell out the window. This lad over here, he's already gone out the window. <laughs> William McKinley usually has a lock on that, but he's not here today. William's usually gone and, and, and when I get through reading Scripture. Where was I? Let's see. You guys got me sidetracked. Okay, the early church did this. There was a, they, they met in people's homes. They didn't have any church buildings. They would meet in people's homes, and they usually met at night because many of them were slaves because 60% of the Roman Empire were slaves. They would meet at night, and they would have a carry-in supper. And during that time, the local leadership would take a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament and explain it to show that Jesus was the Christ and da-da-da-da-da. Then they would sit around and confess their faults to one another, ask for prayer, and then have communion. And then go to their homes. The capacity in that way of doing things to bear each other's burdens and to know when someone was hurting, know when someone was thinking they were on the verge of getting in trouble. They would know that. And what I'm begging for is that your first priority as a Christian be a double thing. One, Jesus said, The reason I came was to seek and to save the lost. Number one priority. That's why He died on the cross. And his vindication was when God raised him from the dead. Second thing, that we really care about each other. You have no idea of how impressive it is to know that somebody sacrificed financially to help somebody else and didn't want any noise made about it. I, I get to see that happen on occasion. We have a boy here who's dying of cancer. His body's just eaten up with it. He keeps the best attitude. He's an inspiration to me. One of our families just wanted to see if there was any hope for him, walked into the office, handed me a check, and said, "You give this to him and see if he can go to Houston and have him to check him there." Why?" Anderson at Houston is one of the two hospitals in the United States that deal only with cancer But when he got there they told him You're beyond help But the point I'm making is this Somebody cared enough about him to pay for his way down there and back and Wanted to know. probably I'll get chewed after you even mention it, but I can take chewing But do you see what I'm saying? When the lost world understands that, that, that we care that much about each other, they're going to say, I'd like to have a piece of that action. Now, I'm going to leave it there. And, fellas, if you've got as many muscles as you think you have, I want you to help push these chairs. Just push them straight in, line up there so we have room on the side for 13 tables on either side, 26 tables they want we got to get them decorated for next Saturday. I'm tired. And uh, my throat's getting a little bit sore. I've gargled enough salt water in the last two days because my daughter is just a real pain in the butt when it comes to that kind of stuff. She's a nurse, and nurses think they're doctors. But I hope that I put on the table for you what the church is really about it's not an arm of politics and when it is it's a false thing
1: it is
0: an extension of who Jesus is or we should take our shingle down and when we are able to do that we made some headway Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. You men do this, and the rest of us uh, go home. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us with some clarity your New Testament, telling us what a New Testament church should look like, how we should function, how we can be obedient to you, how we can love each other, and how, what it would look like to a lost and dying world. Help us to get straight in our mind, Father, that Satan is ruling this whole political complex in all the world, creating wars and rumors of wars, rejoicing over death and division. Help us, O God, to go to the other extreme, bringing joy to life, even an abundant life, and conducting ourselves in such a way that people will be persuaded. Help us, O Lord, to be your arm and your extension of the most beautiful miracles on the face of the earth, of helping a man or a woman change their life and cease to be a selfish, self-centered jerk until a beautiful person of a loving, giving heart. Dismiss us now, Father, with your richest mercy. We will really try hard to give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Will you say amen with me? God bless you. You're free to go.
1: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m.
0: and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.